0: Hello, and this is Skip Ruddertail and... Toonses, the cat that can take public transportation. And you are listening to episode two of the Bad Dog Book Club. Also known as the second episode. The second episode. To some of us. Today, we'll be discussing Double Blind by Taryn, which first appeared in Roar volume two mm-hmm.
1: unofficially known as double bling because every time i try to
0: type it that's what i type well you know what's on your mind that's how you roll well now
1: it sounds like a good phrase and you're like oh that's double bling you <laughs> i mean that's just not good like bling simply itself is tired but double bling might bring it back
0: <laughs> so uh toon says uh you picked this story this week so why don't you tell us what drew you to it
1: well, uh, for our first podcast, we picked a story from uh, Fangs. I mm-hmm. went in Clockwork. I thought it was a, a good story, like an erotic story, but one that wasn't, you know, just like a straightforward masturbatory piece. Something that was a bit more thoughtful, a bit deeper. I think a, a, a good a way to start things off differently than you might expect from an erotic piece. And mm-hmm. I thought it was a good idea to go the same route, kind of do the uh, keep things symmetric mm-hmm. with our second episode. And I asked Alex Vance if we can get a clean story from a. The, the roar series mm-hmm. and i found this story this kind of sci-fi thriller i liked it because it was just a straightforward kind of exciting shoot-em-up interesting thriller mm-hmm. i think it could be a good way to start out I, I thought it was much more masturbatory than sanguine and clockwork was because i, I imagine people <laughs> reading these stories no, no no okay so everybody gets off their own way right so some people i think go to action films Mm-hmm. and they sit there and oh my god that gun it's so all oh, the it's, the details are so precise and all it, they're killing so many people how can they even have this many people to kill mm-hmm. and that's just they just sit back and that's just how they enjoy themselves and you know you can enjoy yourself the same way with a story like this okay that's the, the point i wanted to make was something could be clean as you know a sterile shelf uh-huh. but be just as masturbatory as the worst erotica story
0: all right all right in a good way, that's good. because, yeah. I mean, that's what well, I like. And Oh, a quick uh, thank you to to uh, Buck Turner, who's the editor for the Roar series, and we appreciate his help in this as well. And and he'll hopefully be giving us, we have uh, an upcoming volume very, very soon, and I think he'll be giving us a story from there so we can kind of give him a bump. Um, I'd also, a quick other bump, uh, I know some of you listeners, or I hope some of you listeners are heard about us on NotCast, uh, which is appropriate since Fuzz is one of the notcasters, and we just like to give a shout back to them. You can check out notcast at foxstuffers.com. And now, it's for my one personal of the best version. website addresses ever.
1: <laughs> for my personal version of the uh, shout outs, which is called mm-hmm. the apologies, ah, yes. uh, I, on the last podcast, I mm-hmm. got Automaton completely. Uh, wrong. Right. We, we I think we no, said it was too off. modern
0: a word. Yeah, and then
1: he said it dates back to the 1650s or something yes, like that. So yes, I guess it's, I it's
0: just as old as Haman. So <laughs> I, there think you he, go. I think he
1: might have said he might, might have predated it in some way or something. Yeah. At any anyway, rate, I had that completely wrong. I shouldn't use my amateur dictionary reading skills <laughs> to you know pretend to be I'm an, ex, uh, I'm an expert or something. But like that that's that,
0: good, but. you know. So if you guys catch us you making a mistake. Let us know. We're we're not too proud to to cry a little. So Take it till you make it. Yep. All right. That's what I think. Okay. And and once again, this is Double um, Blind by Taryn, and we want to give a special thank you to Taryn for uh, letting us use this story. So thanks again, Taryn. You are awesome. Uh, and it was recorded by Alex, who oh, loves doing these things and, and and has a lovely voice. So thanks, it, Alex. Got his head
1: all filled up with the. His ego now. Yes, he got a wonderful comment.
0: That's Alex's natural state, actually. But what did they say
1: specifically? Something he he was beaming about this. What yeah. was the comment he got? He, he sounds like somebody.
0: Oh yeah, um, it's it's the guy who does the Harry Potter books on tapes, and he was compared to that gentleman, and I can't remember his name though. So uh, Toon says, "Why don't you uh, you pick the story? So why don't you start us off with a discussion here?" What one interesting thing I noticed.
1: Well, what I generally when I was reading the story, the interplay I was seeing was this difference between the things that were the what were artificial versus the things that were natural uh, generally the difference between the magic and the technology this is typified most generally in uh, the two characters Richard and Gina mm-hmm. Richard is the uh, the horse who has had more or less his body completely changed to this kind of chrome color with a cybernetic attachments and upgrades and things like this. Mm -hmm. And Gina is the magical ferret who, because of her connection with this magical world, which is... uh, It's said in the story that it's your connection to uh, the world powers or something like that. Uh, She cannot alter her body in any way to, uh, you know... get Or it's risky, too. The fear is that if she does... She could potentially lose her magical powers. Right. So it, it kind of explicitly puts in the story this contrast between... Uh, not like the good and evil that you have in the plot itself, but then below that, this difference between artificial and natural, and how they relate to each other and what they do with each other. And I just thought that was interesting then when you consider the fact that the two characters who typify this are named Dick and Gina. I mean, come on. Explain. Am I mean, the only person but, that but noticed this?
0: You know, come it, on. And, but I'm saying
1: this is ba- this is masturbatory. And come mm-hmm. on, this is the, this is the stuff I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. If this isn't intentional, it seeps through through some degree. There's some erotic osmosis.
0: Well, and I, I will add, as an anthropologist, that there's a wide—it's—it's um, it's a debatable point, but there's a lot of literature that cross-culturally ties men to the cultural or technological realm and women to a natural realm. Indeed, it's- um, I think it's—it's it's debatable, but it seems to be common across a lot of cultures, and so we may see that played out here that we associate for various reasons and i think the anthropological ones are it's mostly to do with childbirth mm-hmm. and, and early child raising but that we associate women more strongly with the natural or
1: world and specifically they are presumed historically to have this special spiritual connection to whatever religious order
0: mm-hmm.
1: their culture is a part of mm-hmm that's a uh, the presumption, and then you know, have the connections there between like magic and religion mm-hmm. and things like that as being a sort of supernatural spiritual force. But, it, but in well, the story, what, is, what does the magic actually accomplish? Right. in The story is it, it fills in the gaps where technology doesn't. I mean, this is a world like a, t- a technotopic future where technology has developed to the point where you can put a a data port in your body to transfer photos, and then just have them wirelessly go go from head to head. Uh, it's a Technological wonderland, essentially. Mm-hmm. But there are still, even in this world, some things that technologically techno- technology just can't quite cover. Mm-hmm. Such as in the beginning, during the opening scene, There, they rush into the club where they need to have some time to run into the, the room and not be noticed.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So they use the, the, the magic to put up a screen. Like, a, what is it?
0: Uh, I don't want to say... Basically like sense-blind, I think. You know, they're not noticed, they're not heard. They're Specifically, not if they look
1: down there, it looks as if they're still making out. Right. They mm-hmm. believe they still see them. Kind of like a, a hologram, but mm-hmm. really a hologram doesn't work in this case.
0: Right. But that was kind of one of my problems with the use of magic in this story, actually. Is that... I don't know, I guess maybe I'm a little bit sentimental, almost, in, in terms of how I want to think about magic. Um, but magic in this story was deployed... With very concrete purposes, um, you know, it, I'm going to use magic to accomplish X goal. Um, it was utilitarian, very utilitarian, and the technology it is hand- was handled the same as way. As you said, it was done to fill in gaps in technology, but you know, none of the things done with magic are things that, at least I couldn't conceive of someday being done with sufficiently advanced technology. Which I guess goes back to what was that Arthur C. Clarke point that he always made that you know uh, sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic, <laughs> uh, and and maybe this builds on that a little bit. But I think that was that was sort of maybe a quibble I had almost that I feel that magic should allow you to do things or go places, maybe even just mentally, that are more yeah. than technology can take you.
1: Well, Skip, I think the issue might be that in terms of the story and how the story is written, it seems as if magic is often used as a filler for when, uh, writing-wise, it it doesn't make quite sense to bring in technology. So it seems kind of like it's used as a glue for keeping the story together or flowing easily.
0: See, Uh, I don't know about that. that. I don't know. I don't think you need magic in here at all.
1: Skip, what I like about this is it's a world where magic is dying. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And that's why it's cool that it serves such a, a... a simple and even just quite utilitarian purpose.
0: Okay, well, maybe dying. that's why it's there. If yeah. you look
1: at it at the end of the story, mm-hmm. uh, Gina's died. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. I believe and, the magical and... zebra on the other team has died. Uh, I, I'm sorry, I just love that phrase. Wise? The magical zebra?
0: The magical zebra.
1: <laughs> <laughs> on the other team. It's my hippie album. Yeah. <laughs> the magical zebra on the hey, other team. team. <laughs> I said that with complete sincerity. I meant it, too. Stay on the magical zebra. <laughs> Oh, my God, what this world has done to me. Yes. <laughs> but what I, no, but what I'm saying is, okay, metaphorically and literally mm-hmm. in this story, magic is dying. hmm And when you think of magic as being connected to uh, not like the kind of old world order or religion specifically, there is some uh, there's some meaning to take out of that,
0: I believe. Mm. Except isn't the most important object in the story magic? It is. <laughs> yeah, but, that's, but they're not even sure that it works. Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, ever since, apparently since magic returned to the world, I guess magic was gone and now it's back, whatever. Uh, ever since it came back, they, they're they trying to find this goblet, but they say it in the story that they're not sure if it even works still. But right. in the end, in the end, it was a and, MacGuffin. Yes, yes. It was a MacGuffin. It yes. was a, a red herring, whatever you want to call well, it.
0: Well, no, don't let me talk about This is a good term to know, uh, all you writers and readers. Oh, I set you off Yes, well, I, hey, I got to point it out to you earlier, um... Yeah, the the goblet is a classic MacGuffin. I mean it's textbook and, and that's a term that comes to us from Alfred Hitchcock. And maybe there's a little debate on, you know, how it came about in one of his films. But basically, it's an object in a film or a story that motivates the characters in the story, but that's the extent of its importance. It doesn't actually that's not what the story's about. Like the briefcase um, in Pulp Fiction. Right, the briefcase in Pulp Fiction classic MacGuffin. And people don't uh, know what's in it, it doesn't the matter. The Maltese Falcon is a classic MacGuffin. Um, a Hitchcock example is in North by Northwest, You know, where you've got Cary Grant running all over and people trying to kill him, and even Marie Sank variously trying to kill him and save him. It's all for this microfilm. At no point do we learn what the microfilm has on it. Um, but everybody's trying to get it, and that's why it's important. It motivates the characters. It gets them into certain situations where they may be in peril, or you know, running into a lover. And that's mm-hmm. the extent of it. And so this is a classic textbook MacGuffin. Uh, so I, I, I love it. I, 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 my little <laughs> my little writing and film geek went off on that
1: one. So, so we were saying like the um, the zebra on the other team. It's interesting we just you like it uses the phrase other team in the story i highlighted that mm-hmm. because uh it's that it's, it's such a competitive atmosphere in this dystopian future where you know corporate espionage has evolved to the point where you're sending rival teams out to try to collect magical goblets to you know get to the the edge and what was what was the name even like it was applied dynamics or something mm-hmm. like that i was wondering yeah. if like a
0: it's between... one of these great faceless corporate names where they could be doing anything and probably are. Yes. Yeah. I, I thought General Dynamics was It's it. like was Amalgamated like, Consolidated Corporation or something. Well, it reminds
1: me of when I go on the Metro and I uh, see the ads, especially like Pentagon City Station stuff mm-hmm. like that, just for these things just sound so benign. Yeah. Like the, the best one was Planeteer. And mm-hmm. when I saw Planeteer, it was all I like could think, oh, we're Planeteer. You could be one too. Yeah. Because, you know consulting with the military industrial complex is the thing to do yeah exactly but they just like what on earth is poland here ever had to do with killing people but whatever so general di- uh, i was thinking applied dynamics mm-hmm. would be like general dynamics mm-hmm. yeah at any rate oh. but uh everybody is like on a, a team and they're competing and it remind me uh, what it, it's when they brought out the gun mm-hmm. and there's this big ass futuristic guns so this is what this is what i wrote down this big ass gun does It's an assault rifle and a grenade launcher, which is to say it has the basics for Halo. And by the way, then they did break off into teams of five and fight, so it was kind of like Social Slayer. All right? That's what I'm arguing, but I'll I'll, I'll drop the point. I'm just a Halo nerd. Okay. It has an advanced targeting computer, Mm -hmm. because everything has a computer nowadays. Why not? I'm sure guns do have computers. Why wouldn't they? I'm sure they can use them. It can explode the grenades in mid-arc, mm-hmm. which I guess that must mean the grenades have some kind of wireless receiver. Right, right. The, oh my goodness, all this crazy sure. stuff. Bluetooth, yeah, right. really <laughs> the stuff you put in your ear. Great. And we can explode. Just got to make sure they're with paired it. with the gun. And it can be fired on full auto with no recoil. Mm-hmm. And whenever he gets a headshot, it ups- it uploads the f- picture to his Facebook profile.
0: Now, was that a joke? Yes. Yeah, I yeah. thought it was a good one damn I tried
1: <laughs> but no because he got this big ass gun and it does all these crazy things and it just reminds me of
0: Toons has a uh, problem here with rustling the papers and clicking the pens and messing with his phone and all these things while we're trying to record and I have some radio experience so I'm constantly like I'm a dramatic you know, bopping expressive person yes yeah. <laughs> like, you're a fiddler that's He's what you me, are you gotta keep me on a leash all or something right. just keep my, my
1: hands God hands help us if we ever get a Rubik's Cube in
0: here. <laughs> All right. Yeah, <laughs> Whatever. So the gun, yeah. The gun. It was quite a gun.
1: But isn't this where technology would take us anyways? having these just incredibly well-developed things for killing people? Mm-hmm. Isn't that what most of the technology in this is used for? I mean, they say at one point, the only real reference to consumer technology is uh, that the fact that you can get these communication things in your ear or mm-hmm. in your head implanted as well as you could, a mm-hmm. uh, piercing at the mall. Uh-huh. But even then, that sounds kind of basic, and obviously mm-hmm. these people are... are uh, getting technology that is much more expensive, much more uh, specialized and...
0: Well, we even have a character that that's what he does with the money he gets. He goes and gets a new uh, arm or an upgraded arm or other part, and there's there's a little joke there about what other parts one might get with technology, but... (laughs) Uh yeah I mean that and that's it's technology is literally i mean fetishized in this society mm-hmm. is that you know it is it it is for some of these people the end all and be all of existence
1: well, that's um, how it is today. I don't think it's any more mm-hmm. any different than it is today. Mm-hmm. You still find mm-hmm. people that have to have the uh latest social networking app mm-hmm. on the most dependable phone on the uh most broad reaching mm-hmm. telephone network. With the most uh, tuned-in blogs mm-hmm, yep. logged into the bookmarks, it has to be, I know it has I know guys
0: that you know every six months when the f- new fastest video card in the world comes out for six hundred dollars, they are there to buy it, even if it's only ten percent faster than the six-month-old one. Mm-hmm. They have to have it.
1: These are the people like scrambling toward the singularity hive mind. Yeah, like they cannot wait for it to get here, and they think every video card I buy just because it's that much closer, get that much closer. Yeah.
0: Um, no, I, I think, you know, and it is this, you know, world that they're living in and that's what things Taryn I think builds this world very carefully. Mm-hmm. Um no, I agree. One of the things that I you know I edit um and one of the things you'll see sometimes, especially in fantasy or sci fi books, is that you get a little of an overload sometimes, in the first start of the story, as you get the world explained to you in sometimes exhausting detail. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's because when you are doing a science fiction or fantasy world, you have to, as a writer, you have to spend a lot of time mapping your world out, how it is organized, what the rules are, where the towns are, things like that, and you, you spend an incredible amount of time on this, and Naturally you start writing the story after you've done all this and boy you want to share everything with everybody. Yes. And Taryn makes the smart choice here in that he obviously has all this in his head or a notebook somewhere, but he is only sharing us what we need to know for the story. And not just that. It's very sharing it as well. Yeah, exactly. He's sharing it when we need to know it. Mm -hmm. So
1: the the, fir- the opening mm-hmm. scene, for example, introduces us to all the, the major characters, gives us uh their name, their their species, the, the general details and kind of a specific thing about them, what their specialty is. So we we know that Roland's kind of the leader of the group, we know. Boris is the muscle, Gina does the magic, Brian is the the technical specialist and Richard's the, the I guess the second arm of the muscle. You want to, the the chrome, mm-hmm. the chrome arm of the muscle. Right, right. Of that. Yeah. And uh we, we get a, a very good impression of just the thing they do because they're Carrying out a mission to mm-hmm. go in and get this chip, which then gracefully leads into the next scene, this mm-hmm. meeting with uh, the Ryan Clark, Mr. Johnson, the panda, mm-hmm. which uh, allows Taryn to set up uh, the 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 exposition for the next scene,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which will be the the, the climactic battle. Right. So right. It's, it's very gracefully plotted, plotted out. It doesn't get very laborious. It doesn't very get, get very um. Uh, bogged down mm-hmm. in details. It just right. brings these things up gracefully as they need to be covered. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, how a good thriller is supposed to be. Exactly. A, a nice a nice thrilling story is supposed to be able to carry you straight through it. Mm-hmm. You're not supposed to make uh, some tremendous revelation at the beginning. You're not supposed mm-hmm. to be filled with some
0: tremendous well, and you emotional longing. You shouldn't need to feel like you need to read a manual at the start of the story, Exactly, too, which is how some fantasy books can be. It's, okay, here's the whole... And people even actually do this on purpose, which drives me crazy. Where a History of the World by blah, blah, blah. You know, and you basically have to read this little primer on how the world works. I'm sorry. It sucks. <laughs> like, take me right into the story. As I'm reading the story, I should learn what I need to know about how the world works.
1: I've been trying to get into fantasy recently. You're completely turning me off of this. You're not even no, trying. No, no, fantasy's great. You're not even trying fantasy's to get into this. Great. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. All I just see all these awful things about fantasy from you.
0: No, no, no. It's a, bad. Fantasy is really bad. I think like that's bad Pokemon. Stories. That's the thing. Oh, okay. Well, I, I want to get to that at the end. But yes, I do have a Pokemon. uh oh Related event. Yeah, he told me about this
1: earlier. He's trying to. He's just gonna trying to hurt himself. Oh, but I guess he'll tell you about yeah, that yeah. later.
0: Um, I think one of the the key points and one of the things, one of the key world revealing moments here is. Um, Towards the end, and the the whole ambulance or the, the oh events surrounding the ambulance, the
1: EMTs and have guns,
0: and the apparently EN, yes, they're like you, a, mm-hmm. you
1: don't fuck with them either. Yeah, because they will fuck with you apparently. Right. EMTs, right? But, I mean, these even like who was it that was that was like completely uh, worried of them? It was B- Boris. Mm-hmm. He was bleeding out. He's like, mm-hmm. you don't mess with these EMTs, right? Right,
0: because they will shoot you. Yeah, um, and they like approach them with their guns out and everything, but. There's this, you know, just in their interaction, without Terran telling us explicitly how the world works, we can infer a hell of a lot from how the world and society works from that scene mm-hmm. um, and know what kind of economy we're living in. So,
1: and, and where do they even go to have this tremendous scene? It's this warehouse where mm-hmm. all they do is shuffle things around. Yeah. There, there's no... Uh, Nothing there's no, is made there. No, there's no industry. Right. It, 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 it reminds me much more like a data port, like mm-hmm. a server in an in a, in a internet complex mm-hmm. than it does an actual center of industry. Right. Because they, they're just taking these packages and moving them from place to place. Mm-hmm.
0: And what kind of, what kind of economy I, arises well, from that? let here? me put on my anthropologist hat, and I'd say this this absolutely typifies uh, what's known as the post-Fordist economy. And that's in terms of Henry Ford and the Fordist economy, which was what we had you know, at least up through the 50s and 60s, probably, um, is typified by centralized productions, like Henry Ford's River Rouge plant, where you literally took iron and coal in one end of the factory, and sand and rubber and things like that, and literally the other end, you rolled cars out. And everything was done there. After was everything an to agreement, the site. Right, everything was brought to the site, and because the site was there and you'd invested all this infrastructure and time... Um, you know, the workers were part of the community, had a close relationship, had collective power because mm-hmm. you put all this infrastructure investment in there. Mm-hmm. Um, the government played a role in things because it was located there. The post-Fortist economy... It built economy, cities, essentially. Yeah. It built Exactly, cities. exactly. The post-Fortist economy, that's the world we live in now. It's it's what the world of what uh, Iowa on calls flexible accumulation, that... Goods and services and ideas are assembled piecemeal from everywhere, wherever the costs are lowest, and they're put together. So, you know, if you're building a jet engine, you may get this part from company A. If next week company B has it for uh, for sale for cheaper, you will order from them. And we'll get it from, you know, 50 different countries. And if it gets expensive to build things in China, you'll move the factory to Mm -hmm. Vietnam. Those workers can't move. Capital can move. People still can't, because people still have to pay attention to national borders.
1: When it's centralized, it benefits the things that are centralized, like Mm -hmm. people. When Mm -hmm. it's decentralized, it benefits the things that are decentralized.
0: Like capital. Like capital. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Precisely. It reminds me of uh, the rant that Bernie Sanders was going on in his filibuster, which Mm -hmm. is, by the way, coming out as a book sometime soon. I'm going to be getting that on my my little nook. But uh, he was talking about, I believe it was G.E., had these uh, factories, they, they would just put on barges, mm-hmm. and they would just ship them up along the Asian coast to whichever city offered the cheapest labor at that point. Mm-hmm. So I-
0: well, and this is obviously a hyper-capitalized world, you know, that you know ambulances, you know, when you already see hints of this, that sometimes hospitals will turn people away uh, yeah. if they don't have the right insurance, and so we're already seeing these things, and I think Karen's carrying it to this Horrible, but logical conclusion, you know, that, you know, ambulances will not help people unless they have, you know, this very specific, you know, kind of ambulance plan. And Um, if they don't have the ability to refuse service. And that businesses are territories, because notice that, too, the ambulances could not cross into the warehouse or couldn't even pull somebody out of the warehouse uh, because it's, it functions as a territory. So clearly we've seen, I think, too, that corporations have probably supplanted national governments as mm-hmm. the major authority or, or structures in people's lives um, because apparently their property is treated as sovereign. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. So it, well, who it's needed definitely the government a anyway? Yeah. I never used the trains. <laughs> Hey, you know, they're working on it right now. Um, One thing I think that Tara makes a good choice of, too, or something that I've noticed in other stories, is I think it's important that these characters are mercenaries uh, Mercenaries, rather than soldiers.
1: Well, if there's no no government, there is Mm -hmm. no military. Right.
0: Or the governments, in fact, we don't even see... I mean, for all we know, right, there might be no government. Or it might be just corporations, um, well, like in like in uh, Snow Crash, for instance, um, where we really don't see any hand of government at
1: all—really none at all. Only mm-hmm. uh, kind of this vague implication of government from maybe outside in mm-hmm. terms of like these immigration, right? right. At the very, we know that uh, Boris, Boris is an, ol- is an is illegal
0: a, immigrant, not an illegal
1: immigrant, no. an undocumented an piece undoc- of data, right? Yes, yes. I don't know some <laughs> bit in the uh, ether, but whatever. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's but, only this very vague sense of maybe kind of like national boundaries being kept up and but not in a very strict way.
0: Yeah, I think Terran makes a, a good choice though, doing mercenaries. Um, and and I see a lot of you know, you see a lot of stories of pirates and mercenaries and things. And part of that's because I think they have this kind of cachet, know, or pirates at least do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but part of it I think it's it's very tricky. Uh, to write convincingly about soldiers. Unless you have been a soldier, or unless you've grown up you know, in a house of soldiers, or mm-hmm. unless you've done a heck of a lot of research. Uh, because the military is so structured and so organized and so filled with procedures on how to do everything, that if you are writing about soldiers, you better know, those procedures up and down, for whatever country, you know, you're setting in. Or even if you're doing, like, a space kind of futuristic one, if they are military, I think you should, you know, know kind of general soldier principles, either from experience or a lot of really careful research. Because if it's what? not convincing, so you, you think it that can kill really, it. I mean, they've got really to be really pass it. There's
1: no way to really kind of put in the vague sense, just maybe what, what goes on without... Having to address the particulars of how they're done, because I mean, you could, you could I probably, think, okay, mm-hmm. I can you can probably suppose maybe the the vague arc of a soldier's day, and mm-hmm. with a, a little bit of research, get um, a vague understanding of how this of how something might happen. But that would at least give you the ability to set a scene or a story in some kind of, yeah, I think, uh, you know, relax, uh, drawn back or mm-hmm. relaxed view.
0: But no, I agree. I think no, that you're right. That's a good point. I think depending on the kind of story, I would say if you're doing um you know like life in a barracks for instance or if you are doing combat operations you better know what you're talking about uh from a soldier's point of view they do have some combat um, in here but they it's do. from a different perspective it completely. is exactly it's much so more it's okay. guerrilla or ambush style right and uh, and and because it's not pr- it's not trying to be soldier they're not sitting going, like, well is that how they'd really do it um and I, I don't I don't catch myself doing that. So I, I think it's a good choice here. But yeah, I think no, I think that that's a good point. If I was doing a story about maybe, you know, a soldier and and falling in love with somebody, I probably don't need to know as much. Um You don't need to know the vague details, like, like oh well they would probably
1: have to be back at the base at this time. Or mm-hmm. They would only have to be blah 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 blah.
0: Mm-hmm. But it's interesting too because we're in a you, time you think, you period. But you think pirates
1: didn't have procedures? Pirates must have had procedures too. I'm sure pirates is like, how, I mean, "How would you bring up an anchor?" Yeah. Tell me how how would you bring up an anchor? <laughs> you're on a pirate ship. Tell me you're riding a pirate ship. How are you? Bring, how are you going to? I don't know. How are you going to cast the sails or whatever? Not, that I'm not is? pretending
0: to be a pirate. How are you no. going to swab
1: the poop deck? <laughs> pirates must. Have, I mean, I just think I, I think we, we might feel that it's more difficult mm-hmm. to write soldiers because. In uh, our particular contemporary mm-hmm. setting, soldiers are important. Mm-hmm. If, if if you're a United States citizen, you are you have a very active military. Except at but except not, we're uh, at
0: a time period where there are less people being soldiers as a percentage of the population than there have been it, for most of the century. So it's not a policy, common touchstone.
1: In terms of foreign policy, it's mm-hmm. still a very common image. Mm-hmm. So as a but shared it's not image, an it's very experience common
0: experience many of us have had.
1: That's true, uh, and I do uh, live with many Europeans who many of whom have conscription
0: uh-huh. mm-hmm.
1: in there, but it, they, they don't go to war.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: When they when they're talking about the mandatory military mm-hmm. service, they're talking about going to a campground and learning mm-hmm. to shoot a gun and but that would run I think around still be
0: helpful for a lot of a lot of things. So yeah. I'm not saying go join the reserves so you can be a better writer, but, <laughs> but I'm saying like, <laughs> it wouldn't hurt, you know. <laughs> um. I, I, is there but, um, so,
1: pirates? Pirates might be just as difficult to write. Oh yeah,
0: no. I mean, you should. We're just absolutely so detached research. from them. We're detached. Exactly. From them. We wouldn't know what we were missing. There are less people who, you know, there are less readers who are potentially an authority on pirates. Exactly. Whereas, you know, there are, there are still you know, there's still a good segment of the population that, you know, has been a soldier or has grown up in a household of soldiers, and so may read your story, and if you don't know what you're talking about, they're going to see it right away. Pirates, (laughs) not so much.
1: If I go down uh, (laughs) Georgia Avenue, I could walk into either a pirates-themed bar and get a steen of something, or I could walk into a National Guard office and join the military. And so it's kind of like, okay... Different scales here of things you can even... You can't really get that involved in being Mm -hmm. a pirate anymore unless you want to move to Somalia Mm -hmm. and, you know, deal with having oil and lasers thrown at you. Is there
0: there, uh, anything else we want to talk about with this story? I I really... I enjoyed it. Um, I didn't have a favorite line this week, but I had a favorite scene. What was your favorite scene? I think my favorite scene was right towards the end where Boris... Uh, there's the wounded, unnamed vixen um, lying halfway in this doorway. Um, and the ambulance people, because, we, as we've talked about, there seems to be this territoriality issue that corporations have um, where the ambulance people will not even pull her out of the doorway. And Boris, even though he is dying, and at this point, you know, as far as he's concerned, there is no chance the ambulance people will help him. Uh, he grabs her and throws her out of the compound. Mm-hmm. Um, so so then they have to help her at that point. And I love it because most of these people are, you know, it's a, it's a highly ultra-capitalistic society. Everybody is really, for the most part, in it for themselves in a lot of ways. And this is an absolutely selfless act here, mm-hmm. and it really stood out at me in this story. For that, in this world where everything is so profit and self motivated, here is a purely selfless act with and, no reward, and he did it. And and that's, I mean, it was like wow.
1: And actually, my favorite scene was immediately following that, mm-hmm. and I liked it because of the the difference it made. Where in in, in your scene, mm-hmm. uh, it's a very physical, it's a very like a mm-hmm. real Struggle to yes. bring her out of yes. the uh, to, to be a hero to bring her out of the, of the mm-hmm. building, but then we have a uh, Brian mm-hmm. whose heroism comes via PayPal. He
0: mm-hmm. yeah. just
1: <laughs> you know just sends a couple dollars off to the insurance company, and hey, I saved your life too. Yeah, so hey, we got you know the, against the, the mm-hmm. dualism. And that's, the also, that's also that's also it,
0: it's also pretty self-effect. I'll give you that. It's not absolutely it, because it, it it's, it's hinted a lot, a lot, a lot of money and they talk about that. If he
1: had that much of a crush on him, shouldn't he have paid for his insurance earlier?
0: Mm-hmm. Well you know <laughs> you <don't wanna laughs> he cross, had the money. you don't want to cross boundaries here. You know, you That's wouldn't want anybody uncomfortable. But yeah, I mean that, that that was cute, you know, that obviously there was right, had this kind of crush on him, but so it wasn't completely selflessly motivated, but it was pretty close. And so that was that was nice to see too. And that kind of contrasted me where um you know there's a scene actually where I realized I, these weren't really good people for the most part. Um, How long did it take you? Right away. Uh, really? And I think that was one of the interesting choices that and do, is where they burst into the kind of camera room mm-hmm. in the opening scene, and they shoot the guy. I realized And there that- is no attempt at all. You know, I mean, it is just... It, and they're still invisible, even, at that point. Like, he can't even really perceive them, and they just shoot him anyway. You know, there's no attempt to do any kind of way to subdue him, or you know, tase him, sure. or anything like that. Um, it's a bam. It's it's it is most expedient and easiest to kill him. So that is what they do. When I realized they were bad people was when they were talking in the line outside the club. That's just rude. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But but Boris, you know, even after, like, going through this thing and just mowing down all these people who were the kind of guards on duty, did this selfless act, which is an interesting well, juxtaposition. I thought they just had to get rid of the character conveniently. And it That's may what have been...
1: It reminds me of yeah. uh, this quote by Kurt Vonnegut where he says that um, we treat others like authors treat uh, the bit characters in their plays. Yeah, yeah. That's more or
0: less it. That's, yeah, that was uh, actually, yeah.
1: yeah, I think, I know Kyle Gold had a little journal about writer. that
0: this week saying he was, if he was in a bad mood, it was because he was doing terrible things to his characters this week, and he apologized. So, <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Um, be
1: kinder to your bit characters, everybody. That's all we're saying. Be nice yeah. to them. So, they're not that important in the story. You don't have to be that mean to them.
0: Do you have anything else you wanted to talk about in the story, or should I, should I throw up my challenge? I think you
1: should throw out your challenge. Okay. I want to I just watch you go down. I'm all like, right. Yeah, remember this, this, this moment good. when you're
0: crying later uh, on. I, I have a challenge, and it is born of frustration, of browsing through so free. I have a challenge to all you writers out there, and, or readers too, if you've seen one. I would like to read a great Pokemon story. Why? And I, will, I will preface Why? that by saying that I know almost nothing about Pokemon I do not know I know what Pikachu looks like and that is about the extent of my Pokemon knowledge didn't play knowledge. red or blue no but you didn't I play didn't. gold or green I or yellow
1: I didn't you, did you play silver or no or did, you play, did you play I've the, seen the
0: show a couple of times did you play emerald no
1: did you play the okay, version okay
0: okay okay <laughs> I give up
1: <laughs> did you play the cashmere sweater version
0: no there's a cashmere Pokemon, Pokemon cashmere sweater is my favorite All version right. of Pokemon so, here's the thing. And there, there are a ton of Pokemon stories on SoFurry. And I keep being like, there's got to be... I think it's this, this feeling that in all of these Pokemon stories, there, have to be some, there has to be a great one. So, this is my challenge to you as readers, if you've seen one, or as writers, if you write Write me a Pokemon story that is great for even somebody who doesn't know a lot about Pokemon. That's my challenge. I have a challenge to go along my with. My big that. pet peeve with them always is you know, like, whatever Mon, you know, is, looks like this. And there's no attempt to describe him because they all assume, you know, that well, everybody knows what a Bulbasaur looks like. You yeah. know, yeah, I, read and a I, ma- story I don't. So, you know, write me a story that is great in spite of being oh, a Pokemon oh. story. <laughs> oh,
1: I wrote one once. It's impossible. It's, it's, try- it's impossible to write a good Pokemon story. I, I, think,
0: I think somebody can do it. So that is my challenge to you. I have a challenge to you. The audience, yes.
1: While, while some of you guys are writing Pokemon stories mm-hmm. for Skip, I challenge the rest of you
0: to write good stories and send them to me. Oh, yes. Yes, absolutely. Yes, if you are a writer, please send us a story. Skip can have the Pokemon if, stories, and I can have all the other stories. If Thank there you. is a story that you would like featured and read out loud that maybe you've seen, um, let us know and we'll try and contact the writer about seeing it on the podcast as well. Sure, and love to. And lastly, if you are interested in being a reader um, and, and reading a story for us, please contact us. Visit bad mm-hmm. at baddogbooks.com slash book club, right?
1: And if you want to contact me, I'm at toontses
0: at drivingcat.org. And I am uh, skip at baddogbooks.com. Okay, great. So uh, for coming, next everybody. week, and one last announcement: next episode, uh, we'll be reading "Thou Shalt Not Kill" by Fuzzwolf. So another shout out to you, Not Casters. Don't be. Uh, don't first be. appeared in X in two thousand nine, and our thanks to our friends at Sofa Wolf Press uh, for letting us record it as well.
1: And don't be put off by the title; it's
0: incredibly pornographic, and it, it's excellent. Yeah, yeah I'm
1: looking forward to you it. You can't read that one if yep. you're not eighteen years yep. old. I'm pretty sure.
0: Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, that that's it for me. Thanks Is for coming it for everybody. All right. It was a great time. Come in, see you next time. Ciao.